Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is episode 17. Every shift, I would see patients struggling for their care. My guest, Jonathan Michaels, discusses how he came to support Medicare for All. Jonathan Michaels started working in a hospital transporting patients. He became a radiology technician and is currently taking pre-med courses for entry into medical school. Mr. Michaels also works as a freelance journalist. As a radiology technician, Mr. Michaels discovered that people were often stressed about paying for medical care. This led him to become active in Students for a National Health Program and led him to co-organize a protest against the American Medical Association's position against Medicare for All. Jonathan Michaels? Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. Thank you very much, Joe. It's great to be here. So please tell me why you organized a demonstration against the American Medical Association, the AMA, and why you thought that was necessary. Despite being the public face of healthcare in the U.S., the American Medical Association has actually led the opposition against Medicare for All or any kind of single-payer health program. Since its founding in the uh, 1860s, it has practiced a form of medicine that actually excludes people and doesn't protect policies that actually would include more patients or even marginalized groups into the medical community. It was actually built to shore up uh, its own self-interest as a physician's organization. It wouldn't allow African-American physicians entrance into the association, um, not until about 100 years later, and in terms of its patients, because it has always been focused uh, more on being a trade association and, again, providing its own self-interest, it hasn't had patients at the forefront, and so it has actually lobbied for policies and initiatives that have harmed the American public over the years. The greatest example of that, of course, is refusing to support Medicare for All a national health program that would bring everybody in and leave nobody out. The AMA has led the opposition again around every major health reform in U.S. history, at least since the 1900s. That means Truman's, President Truman's national health program initiative in the 1940s. That means Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. That means the Clinton health reform plan in the 1990s. And that means the what became the Affordable Care Act. Now, with uh, an upsurge of support for Medicare for All by candidates like Bernie Sanders and just about every other major Democratic presidential candidate uh, in the Senate, the AMA is once again coming out against single-payer health care. It has joined hands with the pharmaceutical industry as well as the private health insurance uh, lobbying groups to form the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future. It is waging a misinformation campaign aimed at stymieing efforts to pass Medicare for All. So really what I wanted to do as a demonstration 
which actually occurred in June, was to raise public consciousness about the AMA, about its history of opposition against Medicare for All, and about how, right up until today, uh, it is continuing to lobby against a universal single-payer health care program. And how many people join you in the demonstration? So there were about 400 people who came out uh, in Chicago on June 8th. We converged in Chicago because that is where the American Medical Association has its uh, headquarters. Every year in June, they have an annual meeting, and it is a meeting of what they call the House of Delegates. Uh, it was a large body that kind of lays out the policy initiatives that the body wants to uh, pass and uh, take charge of uh, throughout the year. We thought it would be a great uh, way to call attention in the media about the AMA's opposition against Medicare for All by actually coming outside of the Hyatt Regency where they meet and holding a demonstration and a speech out uh, against the powerful physicians organization. We convened at the Blue Cross Blue Shield headquarters, and then we had a spirited march from there over to the Hyatt Regency, and we had a series of speakers, including Adam Gaffney, President of Physicians for National Health Program. We had a speaker from National Nurses United. Um, and we also had Nita Turner, who was previously uh, with uh, Our Revolution. And she is now with the Bernie Sanders campaign. While we were demonstrating on the outside, a group of, of mostly retirees, seniors, uh, were staging a dying actually in the meetings of the AMA. They interrupted the meeting. They held signs. And they held a die-in. No one was arrested, but it certainly got the attention of the leadership of the American Medical Association. And what specifically were you aiming for in this protest? So what we were demanding was three things. We wanted the American Medical Association to divest from the partnership for America's healthcare future and any other corporate front group that exists explicitly to thwart a national health program. Uh, number two, we wanted it to end its decades-long opposition against the publicly funded universal health care program. And three, we wanted it to invest its financial and organizational resources uh, to win, improve, and expand its Medicare for all. Now, my understanding is that the AMA opposes the single-payer system in its charter and says members can't support it. So I heard that one of the aims of the protest was to get that out of the charter. So there are two prongs, actually, to the campaign, I would say. There was one that was being waged externally among groups like National Nurses United and Physicians for a National Health Program. And then I would say that there is a war going on right now of being waged within the AMA itself. So just a few years ago, in June of 2017, the American Medical Association's medical student section adopted a resolution in support of single-payer health care, which marked the first time ever an AMA section voice support for single-payer. Later that year, uh, the medical students adopted a resolution calling for the AMA House of Delegates to explicitly rescind decades-long opposition to single-payer health care, essentially bringing it to neutral. Now, of course, the House of Delegates didn't pass that resolution, 
I believe they sent it to a committee uh, where it was researched, and they released a report not too long ago saying that they didn't think the uh, resolution was feasible. So essentially, there was no action taken on that resolution. But the student section has shown many are raising their voices in support of Medicare for All. So I would say that there's an internal struggle going on within the organization itself. What's fascinating is two days after the GNA uh, demonstration, they put a vote before the House of Delegates about bringing the organization back to neutral stance on single-payer health care. The majority still voted to deny that resolution, but I think it was maybe 47% versus 53% voted in favor of Medicare for All. So I think it kind of shows that uh, while there's still progress that needs to be made within the AMA, that the tide uh, may be shifting in favor of single-payer. Now, you touched on something that I find interesting, and I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but you said the student section of the AMA supported Medicare for All. Have you talked to these students, and do you know why that they support Medicare for All? I have been in touch with some of the students. I don't know if they ever gave me an explicit reason, but having served in Students for a National Health Program, having spoken to many, many uh, medical students over the last several years. There's a feeling that they believe that healthcare is a human right. They believe that what they're doing is a calling. It isn't merely a business enterprise. They aren't in it for the money. They're not in it for the prestige. They would actually like to make a difference. But they're realists as well. You know, once they get in to their clinical years and they actually get experience taking care of patients, they see that the attending physicians and the older docs are suffering from burnout. They're spending long hours in front of a computer screen charting. They're not spending as much time taking care of patients, which is why they went into medicine in the first place. So I think it may be a little bit of self-interest that they would like to see a healthcare system that actually puts patients back to the center and allows providers to care for them without the intrusion of third parties like private health insurance. Well, one of the things you said is that doctors are spending long hours having to chart patients. Is that due to insurance requirements? Insurance requirements, but also I think the electronic health records. Just in my experience uh, as an x-ray tech, you see that a lot of these uh, electronic health records were really not meant to ease anyone's burden. It's very easy to make mistakes, uh, which could lead to overbilling. And I believe there have been studies that have shown, or at least uh, news reports, that have shown that some of that isn't by accident. It actually benefits not only hospitals, but obviously private health insurance industries for patients to be overbilled. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that a lot of these electronic health records could be much more user-friendly. So I think that's part of it. It's not just private health insurance industry, but charting has become sort of a beast, a monster. My understanding about the electronic health records is that they are actually geared for billing, not for patient care. And one of the reasons they're complicated is that because there are so many different insurance plans which cover different things. Can you verify that or don't you know? 
I don't know, but I've, I've heard of that, that there are hundreds of different kinds of private health insurance plans. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to learn that they're overly complicated for that reason as well. It certainly isn't designed for better care or to reduce the amount of time that providers are charting. You would think that an electronic health record would actually save more time for providers to spend with their patients, but that's just not the case. One of the things I find interesting is that now a majority of doctors support single payer, and yet in the AMA, they are still fighting against it. So there's something there that's incongruous. Does the AMA not represent that many doctors as a percentage anymore? Do you know what's going on there? Yeah, that's very interesting. The number of doctors that the AMA represents has been plummeting, uh, really, since the 1940s. So when President Truman unveiled his national health insurance program, he had three-quarters of the American public in support. He also had organized labor in support of the national health program. He didn't have a ton of support in Congress, but with 75% of the American public behind it, he was going to get some traction. Uh, he had just been reelected in 1948, and the AMA was rightfully concerned. They viewed that their power and self-interest were being threatened, and so they waged a very skillful and very expensive misinformation campaign against national health insurance. At the time, the Cold War was just gearing up, and the second Red Scare was getting started. And so they branded national health insurance as being socialized medicine, and it really worked. But it worked for getting national health insurance off the radar of the American public. But they overstepped. There were some members from the AMA who actually uh, led the organization in protest. They didn't like that uh, the AMA was speaking for them. They actually supported single-payer health care and wanted to see the insurance expanded to the entire country. And so they left. And more and more during the 1960s, in which they waged a campaign against Medicare and Medicaid, more physicians left right up until today. They only represent 14% estimated of the American physicians. And why do you think those 14% well, a majority of those 14% are still against single-payer. It's hard to say. I have obviously been in touch with student members of the AMA, the American Medical Student Section, and they still believe that they're able to work within the AMA to push for change. You know, to give the AMA some credit, they have very respected journals. Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, is very highly respected. And in the last, you know, decade or so, they have uh, tempered some of their stances. Um, they've come out in support of trans rights. They have elected the first African-American woman after having barred African-Americans from their membership for many years. And they uh, actually were a large supporter and continue to be the Affordable Care Act. So it's difficult to say. If I had to guess, I would say that Despite the vote, you know, the 53% versus 47% vote, I would say that the AMA is still being run by a group of physicians who are actually in the minority on Medicare for All, but they probably control the purse strings and the lobbying arm of the AMA, which is still very powerful. 
It is the third largest lobbying organization in the U.S. So until the membership actually begins to change on that level uh, in terms of single payer, it's doubtful that the AMA will ever come out for Medicare for All. You know, I should say that many of us who worked on the campaign and organized June 8th demonstrations, we were under no illusion that the AMA would suddenly come out in support of Medicare for All. They have a robust history of being anti-single-payer, and there's no reason to believe that it's going to change overnight. It'll take years. And part of what we wanted to do was highlight for the American public what the AMA actually represents, which is no different from the private health insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry, which is this belief that patient care is actually a commodity and that health care is a business and it's to be governed by free market economics. Uh, which means that healthcare really is a finite resource. And Medicare for All really flies in the face of that. It puts a line in the sand that says healthcare is a right and no one should be profiting off the suffering of others. So I've talked to several physicians and a nurse on this podcast. One of the things that they have said is that they spend a lot of time battling the insurance companies trying to get care approved. And this is time that takes away from patient care. So one thing I don't understand. It would seem to me that it would be in the doctor's self-interest to have a single-payer system because that way they could spend more time on patient care without having to waste their time on administrative costs. I agree. That's the conundrum. I think the answer lies, though, in the history of AMA. And the special interest groups that it has decided to align itself with. Um, if the AMA had aligned itself with patients and healthcare advocates, I think we probably would have had a national health insurance program back in the 1940s, the same time that Britain's national health service was implemented. Instead, though, because it felt like its own self-interest and its autonomy was threatened, it actually helped give rise to the private health insurance industry and the private health insurance corporate model that we now have. The ironic part is that it actually contributed to a loss of autonomy for physicians. If a physician uh, would like to prescribe a treatment to a patient and they feel like they really need it, and then the health insurance industry denies this treatment, it's almost like it doesn't exist. So it hamstrings physicians from actually doing what they were educated to do, which is care for patients because of the denial of care from private health insurance. And that leads to a large degree to physician burnout, which the American Medical Association, again, ironically, is trying to rally support against. So they're treating this upsurge in physician burnout, but at the same time, they're spending millions of dollars each year contributing to the very factors that cause physician burnout. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't made that connection. So, do you have a personal stories or personal stories about the effects of our current healthcare system? I do, actually. I think my perspective is a little bit different than maybe some other people who have come to single payer healthcare. Um, not only am I a patient, and not only have I not had health insurance and struggled to pay for medical care, 
I actually began working in the hospital on the bottom of the ladder. Um, I began transporting patients um, at a large community hospital in Winston-Salem in 2007. Transportation is not very difficult, just like it sounds. My job was to go to the patient's room, transport them down to departments for their study, usually radiology, take them back to their room. However, transporters are some of the hardest working and least recognized workers in the hospital. Um, they really sit at the bottom of the hierarchy. However, as a transporter, I had a bird's eye view of the inner workings of the healthcare system. Um, I was able to observe a patient's progress from check-in all the way to discharge, including all of the moving pieces that assemble to treat them. And this perspective really made me hungry to play a more active role within the caregiving team. So I later decided to become a radiology technologist and uh, received my associate's degree in radiology in 2009. And getting more healthcare experience over the years really taught me that it isn't enough just to pitch in and to provide great uh, patient care. That's fine, but it was never really going to change the suffering that I was witnessed just about every shift that I worked. I would always see the patients struggle to pay for their care. Sometimes patients would deny the exams to chest that spray. They would actually refuse because they knew they couldn't afford it. They didn't have health insurance. Sometimes they had health insurance and knew that an MRI scan uh, would cost them the thousands of dollars and didn't even want to pay the percentage that they would have to pay after private health insurance pay for the claim. So I saw the direct effects that having insurance resulted in as well as patients who weren't insured at all. That frustration that I felt, I kind of turned into action, and I became a member of Physicians for a National Health Program and eventually Students for a National Health Program and decided to really take an active role in the Medicare for All movement. So, wow, you're telling me that even as an X-ray technician, people would express concerns about the cost to you. Absolutely. And that's the saddest part of the job. Sometimes patients will refuse simply because they don't think they need it. And that's their right. But it's very sad when patients refuse because they know they can't afford it, even though they need it. And sometimes we get patients who are obviously ill. They may have untreated pneumonia, which in some cases can be communicable and can worsen without treatment. And so they'll refuse the chest x-ray, which could diagnose that pretty simply, and leave. I've had other patients who have said that because of a lack of health insurance, a relatively simple disorder grew worse, and they had to have several surgeries to treat it. And they just didn't want to go on anymore. And that's a very sad, sad thing to hear for patients, especially when we know what the answer is, which is a universal single-payer health system that would treat everyone with quality health care. Well, I'd like to say that your stories are not typical, but unfortunately they are. And it's one of the reasons why we need to change our current health care system to the single-payer model. Before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? I would like to add that even though the campaign against the American Medical Association demanded that this powerful physicians group support Medicare for All, I truly believe that we'll only win single-payer when millions of people come out in the streets and demand what everyone needs, which is quality health care, without the inability to pay. So what we need 
what we should be working towards is a grassroots movement for single payer. We can't wait for physicians to come on board. Can't wait for any other healthcare provider or healthcare worker to come on board. We know the private health insurance industry will never join us. And so we have to look to each other. We have to put forward human solutions to human problems and to human needs. And that means coming together to fight for what's ours and to demand universal health care. Well, many activists would certainly agree with you. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thank you very much, Joe. It was great. You're welcome. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.